Welcome to Waymaker Church Podcast. The heart of the house is that these messages would help you to encounter, live for, and advance the kingdom of God. Enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bibles, go and open to the book of Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we are in uh, our third week in our new series uh, on the parables uh, of Jesus, and uh, we're just looking at uh, all of the parables over the next few months uh, and just looking at the role of what they play in the kingdom of God. Uh, this past Sunday, as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a quick recap of last week's message. So this past Sunday in our series, um, we talked about the parable of the sower. And uh, the book of Mark conveyed to us, I talked about this from Mark chapter 4, verse 13, that he makes a statement, Jesus says, do you not understand this parable? He says, how then will you understand all the parables? So again, the premise of, of the parables in Matthew chapter 13, he's saying, if you don't get this one, the rest aren't going to make sense. And, uh, and so we started with the parable of the sower, and, uh, and this is really what it talks about. The primary understanding of the parable of the sower is, is that it is about the condition of the heart that matters more than anything else. So the condition of your heart and my heart matters more than anything else, right? In that parable, the, the seed was the word of God or the word of the kingdom that was spoken. It was scattered. The four soil types represented four types of heart, uh, right, and, and the ability to receive it. And then we also saw in that parable that three of the four produced nothing, and the fourth had varying levels of fruitfulness based on the degree of commitment of the individual to the Lord. And so the great lesson of the parable of the sower is that the seed of God's word carries with it the divine power to save your soul and to produce great spiritual fruit. And so the measure of the fruit in your life right, with the parable of the sower is, is the measure of the fruit is entirely up to you. The quantity of the fruit is entirely up to you. The quality of the fruit is entirely up to you and the commitment to the Lord in serving him. And so uh, in all of this, uh, today we're going to look at the parable of the wheat and tares, and uh, we're going to see Jesus revealing the present state of the kingdom of God. And, uh, and so what we're going to look at is that we're going to see the mixture of the good and the evil that will prevail until the time of his coming. So it's very easy to see when we look around at the world, there is a mixture of good and evil, right? You see good people, you see wicked people, uh, and it seems like, uh, have anybody ever got frustrated before where it seems like wicked people are getting blessed and it bothers you? Is anybody? Yeah. So here's the thing is God reminds us that his goodness reigns on the just and the unjust. He also reminds us in the parable of the wheat and the tares, which we're about to see, that he allows the two to grow together for a time. But there will come a time uh, when, uh, when we're going to see the finality of those decisions. Because what happens is, is for a season, there is a mixture of good and evil in the world, and it's going to prevail until the time of his coming. But there's going to be a time in the end where there's going to be a separation of the wicked and of the righteous. And they're both going to be separated to their everlasting destinies, which are settled forever. And I want you to understand that this morning. Maybe you're here and you've never served the Lord before. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And so if you're not living for him, you're living for the enemy just simply by default. And, and the reality of that is, is there will come a day, right now may not be the day, but there will come a day when your life, the decisions you make, the way that you choose to live is going to come into account before the Lord. And I need you to understand that at the end of those days, when that time comes, that determination is settled forever. Of the righteous to the kingdom of God and those that are wicked into everlasting punishment. Now, when you think about 100 years, it seems like a long time, but 100 years on the blip of eternity is nothing. And I think it's important that we remember that, especially within the kingdom of God and living for the Lord, 
that again, when we think of serving, I talked to some people about this recently. When we think of serving Jesus in the context of just everyday living, it seems like a task and a chore sometimes to go the high road, to do the right things, right? To not say this, to be kind to this person, to turn the other cheek. But when you take all of those things into account in the context and through the lens of eternity, it matters a lot. And it brings all of those things into focus of why we do what we do. It's not just about living a holy life so we can say, I don't do this and I don't do that. And, you know, I don't do this and we refrain from that. It's not about that. It's learning to live kingdom culture now before he shows up and makes you bow the knee. Because I would remind you this morning that he says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. You have an opportunity to bow now you won't have the opportunity later. Does that make sense? And so this morning, I'm gonna stand before you uh, and before the Father to be able to say that I declared to you the purpose of the kingdom of God is for you to submit to his rule and his reign, to die to yourself and to live alive unto God so that you can live out the purpose of the kingdom of God and ultimately uh, inherit eternal life with him. Amen? And if we choose not to do that, the end result of your life will be hell, and that's not God's best for you. Amen? It wasn't created for you. It wasn't designed for you. He was designed for you. You are made for his presence and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Was that too strong, too quick? I was at camp this week. I got stirred up a little bit. The worship team was on point. The messages were good. I don't know. It was just, it was a good week. <laughs> and so again, the, the determination of everlasting destinies rests in the condition. Here's the biggest thing about this. So he talks about the dividing of the, of the wheat and the tares. This is in scripture in Matthew 13 is placed directly after the parable of the sower, right? So when you think about this, it is a continuation of thought as Jesus is speaking. So first he tells us about the condition of the heart. And then he's talking immediately about the wheat, which represents the sons of God and the tares, which represents the sons of the enemy. And he's talking about the two camps. And these things are directly related to the fact of the condition of the heart in which camp you're going to be in. And so if your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to go and read the, uh, uh, the first portion of this parable. And then thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. He follows up uh, with the disciples explaining the parable like last week. And so uh, we're going to look at both of those. But Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 24 through 30, uh, it simply says this. It says, another parable that he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. What was the seed? What was it? It was good seed. So the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. It said, so the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so obviously we can see the imagery, right? We talked about the parables. Jesus uses figurative language. He uses imagery to be able to convey kingdom truths. And so now let's read the explanation. If you'll look at verse 36 through 43, it says, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. 
The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. He says, therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And I will cast them into the furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And again, he ends it just like with the parable of the sower. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So again, in the explanation, uh, the sower, right, is obviously Jesus, right, in the Gospels. Uh, he is the one who is sowing the seed. The field is the world, right? The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. So obviously in the parable of the sower, the seed was the word of God. But in this parable, the seed is now those who've trusted in Christ that are actually sown into the world. The enemy who sowed also is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, right? This is the time when Jesus will come back uh, and, and will set up his rule and reign in the earth in the millennial kingdom. The reapers are the angels. The tares are gathered and burned, and that's what it will be in the end, and those who practice lawlessness. And I want to stop and pause here for a moment. Uh, one of the things that the scripture talks about that will be significant in the last days uh, is, is the aspect that lawlessness, because lawlessness abounds, the love of many will go cold. Now, what does that mean in the sense of lawlessness abounding? Lawlessness essentially is wickedness. It's departing from the ways of God. And, and one of the hallmarks of the end is that they will not honor the truth. It says that they would turn from the truth. They would be in opposition to the truth. If you read Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through the end, you're actually going to see that, that because they did not love the truth, one of the things about my dad's life that's actually on his headstone uh, in the cemetery uh, is it actually has a phrase that says, honor the truth. And uh, we chose to put that on because there were three major things in his life. It was the grace of God, the love of God. And, he, and, and before he passed, he said, he said, son, honor the truth. And, uh, and, and at that time, it was just like I was trying to get a revelation and understanding of that. But since his passing, I, I get it. I went back and as I was studying, the Lord showed me. He said, listen, uh, in the last days, uh, he said in the last days that many would turn away from the truth. They would turn to their own wicked desires and to their own ways. And so you and I have to learn as believers to honor the truth of God's word. And if we can honor the truth of God's word, that word will keep us and preserve us until the day of his coming. Amen? You also with me this morning? I can make you do some church calisthenics. All right. Stand up, do some jumping jacks for Jesus. So the, righteousness are gonna, the righteous are going to be gathered into the kingdom. Uh, those that to practice laws are going to be gathered and cast into hell. And so really what this parable shows is, is ultimately the battle of, of light and darkness, right? And the outcome of both. Right, so God is sowing seed right in the earth. He has is, he is caused the message of the gospel to go into all the world to, for us to preach to every creature. Right, That message is intending to go out, but at the same time, there's an alternate message. We see the kingdom culture of God's word that goes forth, and at the same time, all you have to do is flip on the TV, and you're going to see the culture of the enemy being, being spewed just the same. Right? Right? It's in our music, it's in our media, it's in movies in Hollywood, uh, it's in the school system. Right? There is the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the enemy that is locked in deception and, uh, and, and he's sowing seed as well. And so in this, uh, Jesus as the son of man, he first sows the word of the kingdom into hearts, right? So we see the parable of the sower. And, and so God is sowing his word into our hearts. The condition of our heart and its ability to receive is going to be whether or not we'll have the kingdom of God growing on the inside of us. 
And so again, this morning, when we think about the parable of the sower, if you find yourself not producing kingdom fruit, go back and look at the condition of your heart. Now, how is it that we can break up the soil in our life? With the word. Now, here's the thing is it seems a little counterintuitive, but sometimes you're going to have to read the word consistently and disciplined in order for it to actually break up your heart so that the rest can actually go down and produce fruit. Because it's the word that may tell me that uh, maybe that I'm angry, right? Maybe, maybe I've got lust in my life. Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm unforgiving or unloving. I'm not thankful. I don't have gratitude. Whatever it is, in any of those moments, I actually need the word. As I begin to read, the word convicts me of those things, and that conviction is what begins to break open the ground if I will repent and turn from it that conviction begins to open up the ground of my heart and now I can see the opposite when he says, I want you to be patient and kind and loving and gracious and tenderhearted. And you're going, oh. And so now those seeds begin to be planted and if I will deal with those other things and continue to put them under, eventually what's gonna happen is the word of God, if I will live it out, that's the watering, right? That's why I put the fertilizer on there when he says, hey, in all things give thanks and instead of complaining, I give praise. Right? Instead of having a lack of gratitude, now I choose to be thankful. Now that's causing the roots to go down a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And the end result of that is becoming a son of the kingdom of God or a daughter. And so the two, when, it, when we think about all these things, the two are going to grow together until the time of his coming in the end. And, and at that time, the angels of God, right? This is where we see the catching away of the church, right? The angels of God are gonna be sent into the world to reap and, and gather up the harvest. And at the same time, he is also going to, to take the others and they're gonna be cast into the fire uh, in, in hell. And so the righteous will be in the kingdom of, the, of God who is their father. Now, something that's interesting in this, and I mentioned it a second ago, is, is note that in the first parable, in the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God. But do you notice that in this parable, we are the seed. And I find that interesting because the first one, it's the word of God that gets into your heart. The second parable of the sons of the kingdom is that the word is supposed to be in your heart and now you are a kingdom seed that is sown into the world. Isn't that amazing? And I saw that, it's so powerful, but this is what I understand. Before we can be sown into the world, the word of the kingdom has to be sown into us. And I tell you this all the time. You can't give away what you don't have. But if you'll hide the word of God in your heart, if you will continue to pursue him and to seek for revelation, to know him, what's amazing is, is, is that seed will begin to produce a kingdom harvest in your life. And then what's awesome about it is now God sends you with that kingdom harvest. Listen, you think of an apple tree, right? I mentioned uh, last week that a single seed in an apple tree has the ability not to just produce another apple. That one seed has the ability to produce a, a whole group of apples on a tree year after year after year once it comes to maturity. That fruit is intended to be shared with the world. Kingdom fruit, and this is the whole thing about being kingdom-minded, kingdom fruit is not about you. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not about you. It's about him. And so what's amazing is the reason that I water, the reason that I study, the reason that I pray, the reason why I praise in secret is so that people around me can get the fruit of the overflow of my life. Do you realize I don't just come up here to preach to you on a week to week. I live out what this thing says at home. I'm not perfect with it. 
Listen, I don't come up here and help to lead a worship song. I'm a worshiper when nobody's looking. Just ask my family. Like, we're always singing something. We're always worshiping about something. Listen, I'll be driving down the road, and I'll just see something. That's a beautiful tree, and I'm like, Lord, that's beautiful. Thank you. And just in communion with God. And so what happens is, as fruit grows up under maturity, what God does is he now takes the overflow of your life. Listen, they shouldn't be drinking out of your cup. Your cup should be running over. If you have a heart for ministry and young people, I'm going to tell you this. They should never even get what's in your cup up here. You should never come up here to empty yourself. This should always be a place of overflow. <laughs> like, like you get to splash in the puddles and the residue of where I've been. Does that make sense? And that's the way God desires for us to live our life, right? Because now the kingdom fruit, gosh, if we can take that, it's intended now for you to feed others, right? So God sends you now back out into the world to your family, to your place of employment, wherever it is, right? To Walmart, to Starbucks, um, to Wendy's, to McDonald's. And now you get to be one who is a carrier of the fruit of the kingdom of God to now be able to take a piece of that fruit and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. A lot of times we can read that verse and we're going, well, how are they supposed to taste and see? They're supposed to see him in you. Amen? And that's how the kingdom of God advances. And so what's, what's interesting, again, is that before we can be sown into the world, the word of the kingdom must be first sown into us. We can't give away what we don't have. And here's the thing. We can't be offended at the wicked people in the earth. They need Jesus. We should never be surprised when a worldly person acts like a worldly person. You should never be surprised if you go up to somebody and they cuss you out and they don't know Jesus. Do you know why? Because they don't know Jesus. That's why you're supposed to have meekness, which is power under control. The reality is, is you're an absolute savage. And when they mouth off to you, you could throw them on their head. Listen, we're not weak in the kingdom of God. We're just power under control where I look beyond the idiocy of the moment to see their created value in the kingdom. Amen? And so we were able to show kingdom fruit. Why? Because I just showed, uh, I showed some, uh, some compassion to you by not throwing you on your head. Because <laughs> now you ain't got to pay medical bills. Amen? <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> You're thinking, man, really? Sometimes, Yes. And so again, so whoever, uh, the wicked in the earth, they need Jesus, right? So those that, that are apart from him, they're just simply apart from them. And so if we become offended at, and here's what the Lord told me a long time ago. He said, Joel, you cannot become offended at the very people we've called you to go to. Like you just have to simply maintain a, a kingdom heart and a kingdom mindset that you are going to go out there and to look like love, to go out there and be Jesus with skin on. So they can taste and see that the Lord is good and they recognize it now through your life. And when they ask you, you're able to say, hey, you know what? Let me introduce you to my Jesus. Um, I'm very thankful. I have a, a story of that and I've told it to you before for some of you. Uh, when I worked at NASA, I had a big mouth. Y'all know that. Pastor Marcus mentioned it as well. Um, and, uh, and so like, I just, I've got a big mouth. I would talk all the time. I was studying the word. I had head knowledge, but no revelation knowledge. What I spoke did not line up with what I, what I lived. Sometimes, but not most of the time. And I was working at NASA, a bunch of crude dudes. And, uh, and I remember the Lord told me one day, he just said, Joel, would you please not talk to another person about me? And I was like, I thought we were supposed to tell everybody about you. He was like, would you please just shut up? And I was, again, I was just shocked by that. And I'm like, what do you mean just to shut up? 
He says, I want you to shut up and I want you to live it. Don't tell another person about me with your words. Show it with your life. And man, I'll tell you what. I learned really quickly <laughs> that who I said I was and who I actually was was quite different. Because when they would say something stupid, I would pop off at the mouth. When we play basketball at lunch and somebody shoulder checked me, they probably ended up on the ground. And, uh, and, and I realized in those moments, or I would pipe off with something, I'd say something stupid, I would get back at him, and the Lord would tell me, he says, a man of God would go back and ask for forgiveness. And I'm like, Lord, do you know these guys? They're going to think I'm nuts. And he goes, I don't care what they do. This is what I'm asking you to do because this is who a believer is. And I was like, oh. And so for about a year, man, oh, try to bring that in alignment. And that really was the difference point in my life where I went, you know what? No, I actually need to live out what it says, not just know what it says. And what's crazy, I didn't preach to anybody about Jesus. I just tried to live it out to the best of my ability. I had to re repent of things. I have to go back and apologize to people and tell them I'm sorry. Um, and, and it looked like weakness to me as a man. But at the end of that year, before I transferred to another department, one of my coworkers that I work with that I would have never guessed walks up to me and he said, man, for four months, I've been trying to ask you, I want what you have. <laughs> it's a shock of my life. I'm like, Lord, like it really works like that. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, is the Lord took me to the scripture. You know what he reminded me? That all the wicked people flocked to him constantly. And I was like, Jesus, there was something about you that they were drawn to and they don't like us. And he told me, he says, because you don't do what you believe. He's like, because I realize what the scripture tells us that he's the desire of the nations. He is actually what everybody is looking for, and they just simply don't know it. Because people are looking for joy, people are looking for peace, people are looking for prosperity, people are looking for hope. That's who he is. They just look in all the wrong places. So if you can be a person who bears kingdom fruit and you go out and you're sown into the world, they can taste and see that he's good. And in that situation, I got to lead my coworker to the Lord. And that was the first time like, I ever personally led somebody to the Lord. It was the coolest thing. I'd been at the altar and got to pray with people in church, but it was the first time outside of that environment that I led somebody to the Lord. And it all simply came by lining up my actions with what, I, with what I said I believed. And the work of the kingdom, the fruit of the kingdom of God in my life caused him to desire something that he didn't have in his. And it was an amazing thing. That's my testimony. It was a good one. And so in all of this, being able to be sown, that actually is the assignment of the believer, is God desires to, for us to be sown into the world. Because he reminds us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God desires for the world to be saved. It's 2 Peter 3.9, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Can I remind you, when it comes to the goodness of God and the mercy of God, Listen, you may see the wicked things in the world, and there are times when it is absolutely trying. You're just going, oh, it burdens your heart. You're thinking, gosh, I just, I can't stand this anymore. The perversion, the wickedness, and, and sometimes just being in the fight, and you're like, Lord, can we just get it over already? And at the same time, the Lord is like, no, let them grow. I'm long-suffering, and I'm kind. I'm going to give them more opportunity. I'm not slack concerning my promises, but I'm going to be long-suffering because I'm not willing that any should, uh, should come to, to perish, but all would come to repentance. He wants every last person to be saved. And so he gives us the time. He gives us the opportunity to be able to reveal that to the world so they can come into relationship with him. I love this. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. Uh, these are on the version notes, by the way, in the notes in the back if you, if you want to know. I'm going quickly with these. 
But listen to how the Lord revealed himself to Moses. And I threw this in there because I wanted you to understand the heart of God. Because I talk about hell, we talk about the end and the judgment. Like those things are coming because God is a just God. He has made provision, right, by sending Jesus as the, as the sinless lamb born into the world to die for our sin. But in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, this is how the Lord, like Moses is like on the, on the mountain, right? He is, he is having this conversation with God. And his response, I actually laugh when I read this story because I feel like myself, when you read something and all of a sudden he's just like, God is speaking. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, he just blurts out, I want to see your glory. You ever had that before? Like, like squirrel moments and stuff. Like God is speaking to him. The God who made the universe. And Moses is like, I just want to see your glory. And he's thinking, were you listening? You're like, I don't know, maybe. And so it's funny because, of course, so it like changes the total course of the conversation. And now, in this moment, God eventually tells me, he says, I'm not going to let you see my face. No man can see my face and live. And I love this. He says, look, I'm going to put you in a cleft of a rock. And when I walk by you, I'm going to declare my name. And I'm going to put my hand out to cover you. And I'm going to let you see my backside. He's like, I'm going to let you see the residue of where I've been. And, but this is what's amazing. So this whole scenario is happening. And this is how the Lord reveals himself to Moses. I love it. He says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And what's amazing to me about that is you see on the one hand just the kindness and the goodness of the Lord, his compassion, his loving kindness, right? He's very gracious, and, and it's this beautiful thing as you get that heart of the Father, yet at the same time, he is a just God. And if we reject the salvation that he has sent, payday will come. And I think it'll show up in a few different ways. If we reject the will of the Lord in the earth, our sin is going to expose us. Our sin is going to cause us to go through hardship and things like that. But if we'll put those things under the blood and we'll follow him and walk according to his ways, we'll see the goodness of God in the, in, in the earth. And all of that, we'll inherit the goodness of God in the kingdom. But for those who reject that, what we're going to have to find out is that there, there's a payday that's coming. And that's why he talks about, I'm going to allow the wheat and the tares to grow together for a time. But please understand, it's for a time. And I want that to sink in. It is for a time. The pleasures of sin are for a season. But payday will come. And I'm going to let you know today, you don't have the amount to pay. And I believe it's important to preach messages like this to remind us that Christianity is not a self-help book. Christianity is not five ways to a new you. Christianity is not just how to get the big house, the money, and the cars. Christianity is about the kingdom of God becoming Christ-like, where you learn to submit to his rule and reign. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Amen. So God is good, but he's just, and he will bring into account transgression and sin at the time of the end for those who have rejected the gift of salvation. So in this, it talks about in this particular parable with the tares, uh, it says that an enemy came by night and sowed tares among the wheat. And so I want to explain this briefly, like what are tares? Has anybody ever wondered that before? Okay, I did. That's why I had to look it up. And so uh, I knew obviously in reference to the enemy, but, uh, but tares, they look similar to wheat. So this is an actual thing. They look similar to wheat, but tares are a degenerate seed that is poisonous. 
And so again, we talk about the fact that Jesus uses specific words or phrases or figurative language to be able to reveal kingdom truth. So he's talking about the tares that Satan is sowing are a degenerate seed that is poisonous to your spiritual body. And so something interesting, and this is, this is what the Lord showed me. I, I, I love this. Something interesting about the tares is that when they are, they are fully ripe, right? So both are producing fruit to something. But when the tares are fully ripe, they stand straight up. And this is how they can tell the difference of what to gather. The tares will stand straight up, just, just completely straight. But the, uh, but the wheat, when it is loaded down with grain, it bows over. And I thought how fitting, because this picture gives evidence of the surrendered life. Those who sit on the throne of their lives will stand erect in pride. And the ultimate result and the end result of pride will be destruction. <laughs> That's crazy. But, the, but those who bow down to the kingdom of God they're filled with the fruit of humility. And when I saw that, it's just like, gosh, man, that is so powerful. That, that pride causes us just to, you know, we come in and I don't need to lift my hands to worship. I'm not going to clap. That's for the women. Come on, somebody, right? And how many times can we just sit there and worship and just stare? We don't sing. Sing is for the women. We don't pray. We don't cry. We don't do none of those things. And we can stand there erect in pride, not willing, not realizing that at the end of the day, it's going to cost you. Because either he's your king or he's not. And last time I checked, a king is worthy of worship. And people that have humility in the kingdom of God we have no problem bowing. I ain't got no problem shedding tears when God touches my heart. And I got no problem taking you out if I need to. <laughs> and I say that jokingly because I know it's Father's Day. We're like, what? Because here's the thing, especially with men, today's Father's Day, so I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Is again, when we got hurt as a kid, I've got a huge scar on my shin from running at a YMCA. They had just waxed the floors. I went to open up a door. We're racing to the pool because all men, what do we do? We race, right? We're in competition mode, like 24 7. Like we were at camp last year. Pastor Austin cranks out like a ridiculous amount of reps on bench. And I was like, I wonder if I could do one more. He stopped because he didn't know I was going to compete with him. And so I got the one more, but it's not because he couldn't do more. It's just because I was competing. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I hurt myself. But, um, <laughs> but the thing is, is, I don't know what I was talking about. Now I'm talking about like working out, lifting weights. Yes. So competition mode is men. We're running. We don't cry. Thank you. I appreciate that. You were paying attention. Can y'all give her a hand? She, she knows what's going on. That's good stuff. No, but so like we're running to the pool. It's a metal and glass door. The frame is metal. I go to open the door because I was winning, by the way. Just want to throw that out there. And so I open the door and my friend slips and he takes out my feet and my shin hits right into the corner of the metal door, splits it open. Now, y'all may have had a similar father to the one that I had. What do you think that he said to do? <laughs> he said, get up and walk it off. It's just stretched. Dude, I got a scar. I mean, imagine all the kids like, I still have a scar that's probably three-eighths of an inch wide, a couple inches long. And that night, he made me play basketball. We played racquetball. And it wasn't like, you know, limp around racquetball. He's like, walk on it, son. It's just stretched. 
<laughs> and I didn't get to go swimming, so I was hurt. If it was only stretched and it didn't break the skin, I should have been able to swim too. But I couldn't. I had to watch these guys, my brother and a couple friends. It was, it was horrible. But the thing is, is if we stand in pride, right? So we, we grow up that way, right? Like you get hurt and they're just like, hey, walk it off. Be a man. Anybody? Now understand something. There is certainly a time and a place for that where we can't just be pansies. <laughs> Don't know else to say that. Like we need to be men. But at the same time, if you allow that version of, of being a man to rob you of intimacy with God, because we can hear that word, even intimacy, and we're like, ooh. But the thing is, is like you've got to be able to surrender yourself and have enough humility to be able to be used by God and to be touched by God and for God to minister to you and speak to you. Because that's the way that you gain wisdom. That's the way that you gain authority. That's the way that you walk in power is, being by, is, is by being submitted to the king. Listen, you'll only have authority if you are submitted to authority. And so if I come in and all I do is stand there posturing up going, I ain't doing that. I'm actually rejecting the will of God for my life. And can I challenge you today? Please don't do that because we need you to lead your families well. Amen? Like we need some tender-hearted warriors that in one breath have a sword and in the other part are willing to bow a knee to the king. Amen? Amen. Hey, I was able to bring a full thought. Thanks, Velma. <laughs> so when we think about the tears that the enemy is sowing, what are they? Turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, say oh my. <laughs> so Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 19. The apostle Paul is, is writing to the church at Galatia, but he speaks these things, and, and, and it, it really helps us to be able to illustrate, well, what are the tears that the enemy has sown? Uh, sowing into the earth. What we call them is the works of the flesh. Uh, and he makes this statement. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, uncleanness, lewdness, which is an unbridled lust for something, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, uh, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. He says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, we, we see the kingdom of, of the enemy, the kingdom of God. They're both sowing seed. Here's a simple way to be able to know what fruit is coming up or what is growing. The works of the flesh, if we see those things, and this was a big part of what I had to deal with during that year when I worked at NASA. You talk about like outbursts of wrath being selfish, those types of things. Those were seeds from the enemy that had to be uprooted from my life so that good things could be planted. Because if you continue to read beyond that, he says that the fruit of the spirit, which is the kingdom of God, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And so the, the tares are, are, are the things of the flesh that are evident. And so again, if we're living out these things, the scripture tells us very plainly that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. It doesn't say that the person who like is tempted and falls to it. It says the person who practices such things. Practice speaks of lifestyle. We all make mistakes. It's not about being perfect. We all say and do dumb things. I swear on the weekly, this is why we don't have Waymaker Church stickers for your car. 
God. That's why our vans don't say anything. They probably should to advertise, but if I'm the one that's driving it and somebody like cuts me off, like I'm not sure if the coffin door is swinging open. I try really hard, and some days I do great, and then other days you're like, I would like to do a pit maneuver on your car right now. I mean, it was awesome. We're coming back from kids camp. I thought about it. Because, I mean, this dude was like crazy. I don't know what he was doing. He would like go slow, speed up, cut me off, uh, and like, I started pushing the coffin door open because my daughter was in there. Because even she was like, what is wrong with this guy? Because she's learning how to drive. And like, he like raked me off on a truck on purpose and then slammed on his brakes. And so I made sure he was about three feet in front of me before I aggressively got into the passing lane behind him, thinking about pitting him or doing like a bump and run. And then I was like, I'm not made for prison ministry. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> especially not from the inside, you know, because that's brutal. And so we have moments, right? I just figured I'll let y'all know. I'm just like you. So you have these moments where you're thinking, <laughs> just want to pit the dude, put him into the guardrail. And then the kingdom seed has to rise up and be like, that's not who you are. And you're like, it's true, but I'd like for it to be. But then, then you'd have to come to cell block C3 so I can minister the gospel to you. I'm not trying to do that. So anyway, so again, the nature of the flesh obviously is readily seen in the world. It was seen in my truck at that moment and that day. And so we have to choose, and this is what it comes down to. If we choose to set our minds on the things of the flesh, then, then from the things of the flesh, we're going to be corrupted by them. So whatever you set your focus on, whatever you set your attention on when it comes to the kingdom of God, if you look at the kingdom of God and the word of God, you're going to produce good fruit if you allow it to penetrate your heart. If you focus your eyes on the things of the flesh, then of the flesh you're going to reap corruption, which ultimately is going to lead to death. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It says, because the carnal mind is an enmity, it's an enemy of God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now we understand we're supposed to live by faith and the one who lives by faith pleases God. Now if we're walking in the flesh, we're not gonna be able to please God. And that's the, that's the aim of our life because Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 tells us clearly, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. So the, the whole purpose of our life is to fear God, to keep his word and to live it out so that we can produce kingdom fruit to become the wheat that bows down in humility to him and is sown into the world so that other people can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. And so to finish out uh, this message this morning, uh, I'm going to, if you want to look at Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to real quickly uh, talk to you about, it's a short parable called the parable of the two sons. And I think it's a fitting conclusion to, to help bring uh, the, to conclusion the wheat and the tares. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 through 32, Jesus speaking again, and he says, but what do you think? He says, a man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. So this is the son's response, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he said, uh, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two, Jesus asked this question, which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did nothing afterward to relent uh, and, and believe uh, believe him. So obviously he's talking about the response or the lack of response because of the hard heart uh, of the religious rulers of that day. But when we see this, 
what he's talking about is, is he said, who is the one that did the will of God? It's the one that went and actually carried it out. What's intriguing to me is they were both sons. But one was obedient, one was disobedient. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you today. Take the steps to can just continue to live out to the revelation that you understand, to the level of ability that you know concerning the word. Live it out. Study the word. Get into the word. Let it penetrate your heart. And as God reveals things to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to live those things out. And it's just day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade. And God will add one thing upon another, and he'll help you to produce the fruit of righteousness and holiness where you can serve him wholeheartedly and be used by him for his glory. Amen? So it's the one who does the works of the kingdom who will enter it. They're the ones who are pleasing to the Lord. And so as believers, we have to choose to wage war against the flesh so that we might live righteously in the earth. We'll finish with a final passage of scripture in Romans chapter 6, verse 4 through 14. This is how we're intended to live, buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly also, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who uh, has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So, right, so that's talking about Christ. He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, I would submit to you in this moment that last thing that you're not under the law, but under grace. Grace does not give you the capacity to do whatever you want, and he'll just simply forgive you. Grace is the divine enablement of God, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for you to do what you can't do on your own. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you a grace to live righteous, to live holy, not just pray a prayer to be forgiven. Amen? We want to make sure that we have proper theology on that. We need to make sure that we have the right kind of understanding because there was a sloppy grace that's permeated the church of Jesus Christ in the last 20 or 30 years in America that I can do what I want, live the way I want, and he just accepts me the way that I am. Can I tell you the king has a, is the king of the kingdom and he has a culture that he expects to be lived out and sin ain't it. Amen? So we have to align ourselves to his ways. And so the word of the kingdom leads us to life. It crucifies the flesh and its lust so that we can live alive towards God presenting ourselves as instruments of righteousness to be sown into the world. And so my prayer today as I finish this message is that you would allow the kingdom seed to get deep into your heart and that the power of the Holy Spirit would cause it to grow up into maturity, that your life could be sown into the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Waymaker podcast. To simply connect or if this message ministered to you and you would like to support the ministry, you can simply go to waymakerchurch.org.